Hi, Soul Fam. Welcome to a sparkling new episode of Ceremony Circle Podcast. I am your host, shaman and author of Animal Power Book, Allison Charles. And I want to get right into today's mystical journey as we are so blessed to be joined by Arash Jacob, mystical seer, magical knower, and master healer. Now, I met Arash through mutual friends here in Texas, and we were all able to sit in sacred space together and a deeply fun, healing and liberating gathering. And through that connection and witnessing some of his gifts and abilities, I wanted the chance to sit with him again to learn more and to share his wisdoms with you all too. So today we talk a lot about the spiritual gift of seership. Now this gift is also one of my main gifts as well, and I'm so incredibly grateful for it, but this gift comes with a lot. So I chat with Arash about how he knows when to present the information that he sees, how to present what he sees in what manner, how to do so in ways that promote healing rather than destruction. There's so many layers of responsibility with this gift, so I wanted to dive into it all with him. We also chat about the mystical lands of Iraq and Iran, what mysticism is, how and when his mystical gifts began to present to him, and one of my favorite topics, Arash was actually a doctor, but he purposefully left behind all medical associations on his birthday in 2020. We get into why he did that, if it was difficult, and what has opened up for him since. And before he takes us through one of my all-time favorite multi-dimensional heart healing rituals in today's closing ceremony circle practice, he also shares about if you can let pain speak then beauty can speak even more powerfully in your life. He elaborates on what he means there. And if Arash, his energy and his transmissions resonate with you, I want you to know that Arash helps those who are drawn to him, see him and work with him toward your own magical growth and inner change. He works in a practice in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, seeing individuals and businesses both in person and virtually, helping them connect to and open their hearts inside their own magical healing journeys so you can reach out to him for a healing session of your own it is time for mystic gifts and seership with arash jacob arash here we are the day has arrived thank you for joining me on ceremony circle my pleasure allison thank you for having me you're so welcome. I've been looking forward to this ever since I was able to meet you in person and share a sacred space. And we just had such a fun time together and our brief little heart coherence before I hit record, I was being reflected back to some of the, some of the humorous memories and just relishing and all of that. So I'm so glad to now be in this type of space with you. And I just want to learn so much about your background and your gifts. And and I'd love to actually take it back. I know that you technically grew up in Florida, but you were born in Iran. And when you and I met in person, I was sharing with you that day, just how on an ancient soul level, I most connect to that region of the world and also being a Bedouin and a desert trekker and my Arabian, you know, blood in me and, and things like like that. And I wanted to go back to that part of the planet. And I'm just curious in general, when it comes to the energetics of Iran or Sufi mysticism, just what in general bubbles up for you? Yeah, and that, that's a great question. And it's interesting you, you you bring up our initial interlude about that topic because it was quite interesting to see your reaction to to my my offering there, which we can talk about. But it was lovely to meet you, meet you as well. Going back to, you know, Iran and the mysticism, I, I have a little bit of a maybe a little bit of a bias, a little bit of a slant, because I'm historically I I've sort of I've done the Sufi dance before. I've lived that life before. Um, I was at a conference uh, one year with a bunch of healers and whatnot doing whatever we were doing. And uh, this one gal, a very special gal, we, we, uh, we worked on each other. And she came on to me and she, she looks at me and she goes, oh, you Sophie, you Sophie. And I had never had any conversation with her at all, period. Right? <laughs> and then we talked a little bit about that. But 
you know, Iran and Middle East, Sufism, it's a very interesting dichotomy. It's it's like a double-edged sword, you know. Spirit you're 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 either spiritual, very spiritual, and really shunned actually by most of the population, or you're one of the people who is seeking Western money and Western accumulation and Western status in fire night circles, you know, in the evenings while you drink wine and eat pistachios, you might read some Rumi, or you might some read some Hafez, but those are acceptable and uh, at the distance, they're acceptable on the periphery for most of the population. But in their hearts, the love and the beauty and the mysticism sings, but it's not outwardly lived for most people. And if you're just a Bedouin or if you're just an ascetic or a spiritualist, yeah, you're, you're not really looked upon <laughs> very well like most of the population because you basically are like a beggar to them really you know so it's it's, it's quite a judgmental society in the middle east actually you know i think beauty wise they were much much just like india much further ahead centuries ago before accumulation and financial status and you know being a lawyer or being an engineer, being a doctor got into their heads that you have to do this and be and it's much more rich when they were poor financially. But now that they've gotten a taste like like so many countries, right? India the same. They've moved away from their love. They've moved away from their spirituality. They've moved away from their Sufism, from the beauty and devotion that really is in the hearts of many of them, at least turns if you sit and you spend some time with them the love and the passion, the devotion comes through. It's just they don't tend to live it. Wow, that's I'm I'm just kind of soaking that in. I, I don't know why I'm surpri- a little surprised to hear that. I guess even as I'm saying I'm a little surprised, there's a part of me that's like, you really shouldn't be surprised. I guess because I live in such devotion, you know, to these energetics and ways. And, and to me, you know, when I trail back into my past lives, being a Bedouin and a desert trekker. I mean, that is what excites my soul the most. And I personally can't think of anything much more beautiful in terms of beauty potentiality and and on planet earth than being a desert trekker, you know, and living life and, and devotion to the instructions of the divine. And so I guess it makes my heart hurt a little bit to know that, yeah, the, the culture over there has has drifted a little bit away from the anchored reverence in, in, in living and in living outwardly that way, you know? I mean, is, is any part of you... Because I guess I was going to wait to talk about this until later in our, our conversation, but it seems to be coming in now. I, when I was doing my research on you, I was so, again, surprised to find out, it, oh, he, he was a doctor. You know, I certainly didn't know that when we shared space together. It was only in my Googling of you that I discovered this. And I loved that I saw, I think it was on December 31st, 2020, which December 31st is your birthday, right? That's right. Because I remember mine being the first, you the 31st, and Bobby being the 30th. We had that cool little succession going on that night. But yeah, so on your birthday two years ago, you decided, I want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, right here I have it. You made the decision to drop all medical associations, which is why when I met you, I didn't know you were a doctor and you don't lead with that on your Instagram. It doesn't say Dr. Arash Jacob. It just says Arash Jacob. And I could feel the power in that. And so I would love to go into this portal and share, you know, whatever comes up for you and what you want to share. But now having the explanation that you gave around how the culture has gotten more into the material side and the title side in terms of like the medical world and knowing that at one point you were a doctor, you were an osteopath, but then made the decision to drop that all away. What was that voyage like for you? Was it very initiatory? Was it challenging? Did you hit up against certain, you know, things with your family, your dad and making that decision? I just want to learn more about that. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really, really cool story. And, and probably the best lead-in is just to start real briefly 
about eight generations ago on my father's side, there were rabbis, very mystical rabbis in Iraq. That's my father's side is Iraqis, Iraqi Jews, and mother's side Iranian. Iranian mother's side are scholars, writers, poets. Father's side were spiritualists. So about eight generations ago on my father's side, the Iraqi rabbis were very, very steeped in spirituality. They were known for doing miracles, so time travel, all the crazy stuff that you hear about. I grew, we grew up with those stories as they were handed down to our family. Some of these stories you, you, you hear, we say, wow, that's so cool. As a kid, you hear them, they're passed down, they're talked about, and all these things. Well, at some point along that journey, the rabbis, I think erroneously so at this point, I've come to realize, decided that they couldn't charge for anything that they did religiously or spiritually. So they had to find some way of making money. So they became bakers, right? So they baked bread and bread, income from making bread sustained them. That's a whole other story, but the spirituality fell away at some point. And for several generations, they became businessmen. Spirituality dropped off. And with me and my family, it was like as it's the first person with which it sort of resurrected itself. So when when I first began to when I first began to see things, which was when I was first in practice, it was I thought it was the coolest thing that I began to have these visions. But backing up to answer your question, before I went to medical school, my father really wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer, a good Jewish father. So I, I wanted to go into business, I, at least I thought. I was, I was going to be a businessman, I'm going to make money, like, you know, these guys over here. And so I, I decided that I'd tell him, I looked at some law schools, I looked at some medical schools, and then he would be appeased and I'd go do what the hell I want to do. So I did. And I looked at a few law schools and I looked at a few medical schools and I thought, you know, if I'm going to have to go to a medical school orientation, I don't want to kill myself and go to a regular one. I found this osteopathic one and it talked about the body healing itself. I was like, okay, you know, the body has the innate ability to heal. And I thought, okay, that's something at least I can tolerate. You know, I'm going to sit in that orientation and then go back and report to him. So I went and I sat in orientation and it really bored the hell out of me. <laughs> but at the end, one doctor laid on the table, another sat at the head and he closed his eyes and put his hand on the guy's head. And then something inside of me started to lurch forward. Mm. I could feel what he was feeling and with the guy, I could feel what both of them were experiencing. And I got chills and I was like, oh, so this is something cool. This got my attention. So I investigated this a little bit. I, I shattered a few docs, did this hands-on stuff. And I thought, okay, that's cool. This is cooler than business. So I put business aside and I thought to myself, kill two birds with one stone. I can satisfy my father. I'll be a doctor, but then I'll do it my way because this has got some stuff for me. So I, I went into osteopathic medical school with the idea that I was going to do this and this alone. Because if you were going to put me in a white coat and put me in a hospital, I might as well just, you know, I might as well just end it because that wasn't going to work out or anyway. So that was the slant with which I went into it. But it was, it was four years plus, plus residency of essentially torture, self-torture. Hmm. And once I began to become aware that, that even doing it half for him was a way of really dying, then I began to peel layers away, right? I began to peel layers away. So the, the first layer obviously was, was doing what I wanted to do, doing a more holistic route, using my hands. Then after I started having divisions really early on, 10 years after that, I, I dropped using my hands altogether. So I, I dropped that and I began to work with what I was feeling and seeing around people. And then at some point it came to where I had to make a decision, I felt, to drop it officially, to disown it from my identity. Mm. And, and that was the last layer of really letting my father's vicarious desires through me go. And that was the last layer of the onion on 2020, I think it was. But it just December 31st, because that was my birthday. That's when that's when the renewal would, would, would have to come on. And I was looking at having to, to do the continuing medical education, another 40 hours, and I'm looking at I'm gonna have to look at drugs and this and that and do all this online stuff. And I was like, you know what? So I bought my own freedom and, and I washed my hands. And was it did it drum up a lot internally for you, or was it a more, like you said, gradual layer, onion peeling, you know, situation, or when it came down to it, where you were like at that doorway, that gateway of 
decision point time, you know, was there a spiritual fire that got evoked? Did you feel an ego part dying off or was it just like you had done enough layer peeling up until that point where it was just kind of like, and eh, now I'm going to shift into this? It, it, was, it was kind of a little bit of everything. Okay. <laughs> there was, there was at every level of peeling my father or his desires away, there was definitely fear. There was fear at every level. What, what's one example of one fear? Fear that he, is he still living? I know he, he passed away uh, about a year, about a year, year and a half ago. Okay. Fear, nothing really related to him, just fear internally, right? Am I going to lose another part of him, right? Will he love me less, even though I knew that was not going to change mentally on the outside, the feeling was still present. Am I going to let him down, right? Am I going to let the family down, right? Are they going to look badly upon me? Is he going to look badly upon me? Am I going to be able to, to do it? Am I going to be able to sustain people coming in or the practice or whatever, whatever? How, what's it going to look like, right? The unknown factor. The freedom piece really never came until I actually made the decision. So I never forget, I called the board. I called the medical board. And I said, uh, look, I want to forfeit my license. Right? <laughs> how do I do that? So, so first there was like dead silence on the phone, right? And the guy's like, well, Dr. Jacob, um, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. So he ends up calling me the next day and I happen to talk to him. And he says, well, sir, um, we don't have an exact procedure to do that because nobody else has ever asked for that. So what you can do is just don't renew your license in, in, in December 2022. 20, and then if you, if you don't do anything within five years, it just expires. And you can never renew it again. I was like, that sounds great to me. I did. <laughs> so, so once I made that decision, I didn't end up sending the renewal papers in. This layer of inner freedom, right? Ah. That third chakra just opened up and it was this release of like, oh, mm. this was the right thing to do. It's like, you don't know what the right thing is sometimes until you do it. Totally. Oh my God. And the, 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 the palpability of the effervescence of that liberation is just so profound and all consuming. It's like, it's such a clear indicator that, yeah, you, you made the, the right decision for yourself. My last, I'm kind of dissecting this a little bit, but I was just so intrigued about this portal of your journey. The last little question I have around it, was there a stark difference? Did you used to introduce yourself as Dr. Arash or Dr. Arash Jacob? And if you did, then when you made this liberating decision for yourself and you freed yourself of that and you quit using that title like what was that experience like in terms of specifically letting go of doctor? Yeah, you know, it was the, the first time somebody ever called me doctor was when I was an intern in the hospital the first year after medical school. This is when you get initiated by the nurses and whatnot. So I was sitting in the medical ward, and one of the nurses says, Dr. Jacob. And I don't respond, right? I miss up the way. He says, Dr. Jacob. She had to say it like three times, and I looked up. She's looking at me. I'm like, hey, she's talking to somebody else. <laughs> what are you to? And then it took me a while to kind of understand that this is now I got the white coat. This is the role I'm supposed to play. But darn, I hated playing it from the very beginning. It was just, to me, it was just ugly, right? Not that I hate doctors. You know, if it's in your heart, do it and Godspeed. But it wasn't for me from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So on some level, I always thought there, there was a personal ugliness to it for me. And I avoided introducing myself as that or beating with that whenever possible, right? Mm -hmm. If I had to call a pharmacy to call in something, and I didn't write prescriptions from the beginning, but sometimes that was obligated by law. If somebody walked in with like a rip-roaring skin infection, a cellulitis, I would have to tell, okay, I have to call. I have to call the pharmacy and call a prescription for you. So I have to call him. This is Dr. Jacob, and that's what I would do. Or if somebody came up with an STD, I would say, oh, God, I have to call your girlfriend, and I have to treat you both. Right? I didn't want to do it, but I had to do it. So under those pressurized conditions, I would lead with that, but never else. I didn't like it. I, I love my first name. I just never liked adding the doctor's <laughs>
So such good medicine and hearing you being honest about these shares. So thank you. And it's now weaving me to the portion of your life journey. And I read this that I think it was about six years old is when you have, you know, a cognizant memory of being able to observe the space in between, the energetics, the essences that were alive, more of the unseen worlds presenting themselves to you in the earth plane. And I'm guessing that yeah, that six-year-old being in you and the the seer in you, the magical knower in you this whole time, you know, now that you're at that place, letting the, the doctor stuff go, I can just, it's like I can see and feel those other aspects of you just like cheering and celebrating like, oh, thank God we're getting back to like the, the real stuff here. And so I would love if you could start to explain because I want to, okay, there's a lot coming in at once. So bear with me. Number one, I want to say, I think you're going to be a guest if you'll come back on that I want to have come back on. So for this conversation, I really wanted to get focused into seership as much as we can, because that's one of, if not my strongest gifts that I have, and I know the same for you. And so if you could, and I haven't discussed this in depth yet on Ceremony Circle, if you could start to explain to people what that was like when you first started to understand there was a different thing at play and how your seer gift really works for you. Sure, sure. When I get chills as you're describing it, uh, and, and for yourself and, and, and our conversation, I think it's going to be fun. Well, yeah, six, six, seven years old, you know, I, I used to walk around in Florida when it was safe to let your kids walk around by themselves. <laughs> you know? And my favorite thing to do is just to scout around by myself, you know, and, uh, and so I'd scout around, I'd walk for miles and hours at a time. At some point, I began to become very, very cognizant of, as you described, the space between the trees and the cars and the physical objects. And I began to become very aware that there was something else in this world that nobody was talking to me about, that existed. And I knew that it existed, and I knew that it knew I existed. And I was a pretty intelligent kid. I mean, my dad was trying to teach me sciences and groom me for, you know, being a doctor from very young and chemistry and this and displacement and blah, blah, blah. And then I picked it up, but still, it was always something missing. And even though I was sort of subconsciously aware of it at seven, it really didn't start really crystallizing that I did have the awareness consciously for me until I was just about 30, maybe 28, 29, 30, somewhere in there, I got this calling. I got this calling to write. I kept hearing this voice, you have to write. I'm like, wait, what? I don't, I don't know what to write. And then, so I thought, write to publish? And it didn't, didn't get a clarity on that, just write. And I was like, hmm. So I decided, I used to write poetry, and then I realized that that was all really my mother's sadness, and I ended up tossing years of that into the garbage can, which was wonderful. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, Write about my life. What else can I write about? I don't know anything else, right? Right, spirituality. But I started to write about my life, and I began to write about from when I was young. And when I hit that seven-year-old point, all of a sudden, a light bulb kind of lit up in my face that that knowing then and this knowing now was to connect to me to that crystallization of that's what I knew then. So that was the gift of being told to write was to see myself. And it was, it was like, a, it was like a blowtorch went off. And I was like, wow, my, my knowing really started at seven. Right. But I didn't actually know that I knew until I was 29. So, so that's one cool piece. The, the, the second cool piece was when, when I got out. So, so that happened at seven and then the unseen sort of navigated my life in, in different ways throughout the years. And when I got into practice, a, a very well-known osteopath hired me on and I started to put my hands on people and I started to work and, and diligently work on the body in a very soft way that I was working. And probably it was in the first three to four months as I had my hands on people, all of a sudden I started to see things, right? I started to see things, I described it like a silent movie playing, right? I started to see these images. And, and it didn't take me long to figure out that somehow I was seeing people's memories. Okay. So as you're, let's just say for one example, the person's laying down and you're doing your work. 
I've only worked with one osteopath, so I don't know if this is accurate. And I'm just trying to paint the picture for people. So did you, did you, were you having your hands like not necessarily touching the body or maybe they were physically touching an area of the body and then you were being presented, you were seeing visions like, yes, you were seeing pictures and then you started to understand what I'm seeing as a memory from this person's experience. Right. So, so when I had, I, would, I always had my hands on usually the head or our body part that I was working on, whatever. And I was, and I would put my hands on and different types of osteopaths. I was always on the softer edge. I wasn't manipulating tissue. I was looking for energies and listening to fluids and listening to the body and listening to everything else. I was really just listening, listening as best I could. And so as I had my hands on, I was listening and then I would, I would see a certain something. And then I would say, at first I would say, what is that? And then, and then I would talk about it. And then I would say, try to fish around with the person because the person's there. I tried to fish around and then they would validate it. And then they would validate another person. Same thing happened after it happened several dozen times. I was like, oh, this is some, this is the person's memory. I'll give you an example. Uh, this one uh, lovely, absolutely lovely religious Jewish lady come in, just a beautiful heart. And she was going through some struggle she talked to me about it, and and I'm also having some body manifestations of that. So I had my hands on her, and I was just watching and listening as I do. And then suddenly, 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 I saw this image of of, of a big big warehouse, it's a big big warehouse, and there was a woman in the warehouse just by herself, nothing else in the warehouse, empty warehouse. She was sitting by herself at the sewing machine. She was working very diligently. And, and I could tell from the image, she had a lot of experience. And so at this point, I had confidence already. I knew that what I was seeing was legit, right? So in my confident state, I turned to her and I said, so who was the seamstress? I get chills up my spine as I tell the story. And she just, it was like, you could tell she just froze. And she said, that was my mother. She'd never talked to me about her mother before. She said, my mother still has the, the business. It's a big business. It's somewhere in the Philippines, she has a lot of people, and she 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 makes clothes and that. And then that led us into a whole conversation about her having to, you know, please her mom and where she'd fit in, that in somewhere <laughs> fit in with her mom. And but that stuff, that kind of stuff happened like multiple times with every person, right? So yeah, they would come in and initially they would come in as as these just almost like a silhouette of like a silent movie. And we just see the story playing just like a silent movie, black and white, you would see, and, and it would come. And do you think that a lot of these particular memories that were presenting to you most often or all the time, were those memories then directly correlated to an aspect of them that needed to be unearthed in order for certain healings to take place, like they 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 were ha these memories were presenting for a reason. Right, right. So that that's a wonderful question. It, it it always happens whether the person is consciously ready or not. That any information or any memories presented are part of them, either unsolved, loose and not tied, or something that the heart directly is pushing out through memory that wants to be seen. I can't see something that doesn't want to be seen, of course. Mm -hmm. Oh, Nobody oh, can. oh, ah, uh ho. -huh. I'm going to shake the plant rattle through <laughs> that. I can't say that again. I can't. I, I can't see something that doesn't want to be seen. Okay, I just need to, let's sit with that for a few seconds, actually. Oh, oof, Arash, okay. That was good medicine for me personally. That's why I wanted to take... A few seconds there with that. I can't see something that doesn't want to be seen. Hey fam, I hope you're enjoying today's lovely Ceremony Circle podcast voyage. This is just a quick note to remind you that Animal Power Book, my first book, is officially out in the world right now. It has been released. And even before it was released, it was being rated as the top new release on Amazon in both the shamanism and angel and spirit guide categories. I'm so thankful to all of you who have already 
already purchased the book, but for those of you who haven't, Animal Power, 100 Animals to Energize Your Life and Awaken Your Soul is now available anywhere books are sold. You can go to your independent bookstores, you can go to Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you please, and you can pick up a copy for yourself and your friends. Within the book, I share with you what power animals are, how to connect with power animals, why you want to, and there are 100 different power animal allies featured. Each has a full page of embodied, vibrant, colorful artwork done by the late William Santiago out of Brazil. And then there are energy messages and power practices that are rituals and ceremonies you can do to deepen your relationship with the animal. And there are also stories from other shamans and spiritual teachers from all around the world. They talk about an animal that changed their life. This is the project that I am most honored to co-create and to bring out into the world. It is powerful. This book is definitely a living, breathing medicine book. And I have been so enjoying all of your personal stories of what you've been experiencing with it since you have gotten it in your hands. So you can, again, go to anywhere books are sold or you can go to my website, alisoncharles.com backslash animal power. And when you order the book there, you also get a free video guided shamanic journey that I facilitate with my drum for you to meet your current power animal. All right, guys, back to the show. And I don't want to divert this conversation away from a thread that you feel is important to share, but in this medicine that's activating in me, it is one of the things that I wanted to chat with you about because, and I touched on it a little bit when we were together in person, sharing that sacred space, just, you know, the responsibility and the dance that, and maybe it doesn't have to be a dance that I have been in when it comes to when I see what I see and then trying to discern when to say what I'm seeing. And then I feel there is a responsibility in the delivery of expressing what you're seeing to a person. And I just personally, selfishly want to hear from you what that voyage has been like for you, because in our time together, you know, there were a few fun times throughout the night where you would just say things to me. One of them was, I put it in my notes, but you said, I remember at one point you said to me, you know, you had your head down, but you motioned your hand over and you were like, you can come close. You can always come near me. And I feel emotion, even as I'm just saying that out loud, but like we had only recently met, I hadn't told you things that I was transmuting or working through, but you spoke that and you knew to speak that. So how have you gotten dialed in, in terms of just trusting that when something wants to be seen, you see it, and then how to express it? You always ask such a good question. <laughs> and, and, and what I'm hearing is actually two, two different questions. What I'm hearing is, one, how did I know to tell you that? And then two, how, how do you work with in general? How do you know in general when to say it, when, when to keep your mouth shut? <laughs> because there is certainly a potential to trespass. Right. And, and from a spiritual level, you want to avoid that because you'll just you'll throw yourself backward and throw the other person backwards. Well. But if if I may just briefly touch on that that moment between you and I is that I could on some level, of course, see what, what you wanted me to see, which was a part of your knowing, a part of your seeing, a part of your spirituality. And I and and I was very moved to say that to you as if to say. You, you see this house, you see this house, which is me and my energies. You're welcome to sit in this house, right? Or you're welcome to sit near this house, right? Because really it's your house too. I've just been maybe sitting here a few days more than you. And, and so to invite you into that house, which is this physical body, but really your house was just an invitation for you to get more comfortable in your own house, right? Yeah, that one stood out to me. And, and there, yeah, there were a few others. You know, I, I have a, a dear friend of mine who, who historically has also had some knowing, but, but, all, but a little bit of a macho guy, you know, 
but we have a macho guy. And uh, historically, he's certainly trespassed more times than, than he should have. And he's actually physically gotten slapped by a few women doing that. And one time he came to me and he told me the story. And I said, I said, well, you deserve it. He said, very sorry. I said, why do you say that? I said, well, you trespassed. You shouldn't have said what you said to her. She wasn't ready for it. Why did you say it? And finally, it turned out that he said it because he wanted to be seen, obviously. Mm. Right? Why else would you say something if you, if you intuit the person is not ready? There's a block, which he did. So, you know, for, for me personally, when I begin to see things and know things, certainly that, that experience, I, I danced with a little bit what to say, when to say. And the, the, the truth is, oftentimes we don't want to talk about, you know, spiritual people don't want to talk about the mind. It's, it's almost like seeing sometimes a spiritual roadblock. But I think we have to embrace mind, even though it has a lot of funny pieces and a lot of quirks. But for most people, there's, there's, two, there's two pieces. One is when you meet somebody, how much heart connection is present? Is my heart open to you? And is your heart open to me? Right? Typically, women are much better at analyzing this. Right? So a woman knows that she'll sleep with you in the first 30 seconds. Right? In, in Bay, if we, if we shred that apart, it says that a woman can sense if your heart is open to her and if her heart is open to you, right? Men can sense it too, but they screw it up with sexuality more often than women tend to do. But we can sense it as human beings. So if the heart is open to each other, then you have a different access. You can say different things. Even if you screw up, it will be forgiven instantaneously almost. Okay? So that's one thing to keep in mind. If the hearts are open, then you have different access. I would say practice on those occasions where you feel there's open heartedness, mm, mm, right? Mm, because you'll make mistakes, but they'll be more forgivable. If, the, if you sense the hearts are not open, maybe yours to them or theirs to you for whatever reason, it's okay. Then your only access point is mind. The only access point is mind. You only have what their mind can digest, right? So then that takes a little bit of intuition a little bit of sight, a little bit of clarity to see what is this mind. Now we're moving really into the healer's corner, right? We're, we're moving into what a healer needs to know. So you have to begin to assess. And there's different ways to do it. How ready is the mind? Sometimes the mind is closed. Not ready to hear anything. So better keep your mouth shut, right? Its mind is open to listening. You can begin playing and offering. See what it's ready to fish on to. Mm. conversation can be had, right? But if the heart is closed, you will always hit a limitation, right? So you almost always be limited in terms of what you can say about what you see or what you know, right? Which is good. Just good. You sh we shouldn't be trampling on other people, trespassing on other people, enforcing even their own state on them, their own experience on them, right? Because maybe you can see clear as day, this is what's happening, right? But the person is not ready. And if you force it on them, you'll cause kind of dynamite to happen inside and they'll, they'll lose progress. Actually, it's detrimental. Yeah. Okay. That's super helpful. I'm just like, yeah, I was really processing as you were sharing and thank you for that sharing. I'm, I'm finding my way, of course, but I got to say of, of my whole path and of the many gifts, like this darn thread that we're on right now. My God, it's like, and I can tell, you know, there's some aspects of me, I think that are making it harder than what it needs to be. And there's just kind of a lot of stuff at play, but I'm only recently getting more comfortable with speaking more of, of what I see and, and finding my way. So I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on that in terms of, yeah, like part of your navigation system for doing that, because the urging of spirit for me, speak what you see, speak what you see. It's like, I mean, it comes in louder, louder, louder to the point where by me not doing it, it was causing issues. So I knew I needed to break through somehow and I am starting to, but it's, I'm still not real comfortable with it yet. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's understandable. And a big thing that right now in this moment, I'm being sort of urged to talk about if it's all right, is, is rebuke. A lot of us have 
personal experiences, parental experiences, this life, past life, uh, doing good things and getting punished for them, saying good things and being met with rebuke with the sword. And so, you know, if, if you're a kid and, and very lovingly you, you go to take a cookie and your father slaps your hand, right? You'll, you'll, you'll some point sooner or later get the message that even if I do something with a good will, with a good intention, I'll be hammered. Yes. Right. So such, such a little simple act. If it's hammered into you one lifetime, two lifetimes, three lifetimes, whatever it is, then you'll, you'll get the sense of danger. Better not say, better not speak, better not do. Rebuke is coming. Maybe coming, maybe not coming, but the apprehension is there. To me, it sounds like a really good journey because it's in its very course, it's bringing up all the blocks for, for you or for anyone else on the road to see as they travel. So with a sense of it's limiting me, but there's this other spirit is saying, speak, but something is blocking for you. Yeah, it's exactly that rebuking. And, I, and I'm, you know, in my exploration of the apprehension and of the kind of deer in headlights freezing that I observe in myself in this when I so clearly am delivered, you know, a vision, a message. And then I do what for anyone watching the video, what you did a few seconds ago, where you just, yeah, kind of freeze and your eyes get big. And yeah, that, that frozen moment, I've gone into that frozen moment countless times and it's tracked me back to very clear memories in my childhood and just observances I had as a seer child with, you know, my parents and, and then other lifetimes too. So the rebuking, I'm glad you brought that in because that is the specific word and and reason for my freezing is the potential rebuke. <laughs> I had it too. I had it too for that was child. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. It's so many of us, right? Because we, we meet our children with sternness with hammering instead of with what is this little heart actually trying to do mm. if, if parents could take a moment and just ask this one question right instead of oh they're trying to take something or trying to invade what is this little heart really trying to do right you have a sneaky child you have a gentle child you have a loving child you have a hateful child right but each one of them whether it's a parent or buried there's a heart they're trying to do something and most of the time we don't understand what the hell they're trying to do <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And that's bringing me to a couple of things. And then I know soon we'll get into your guided practice to close the ceremony circle, but I want to go into this one layer first. I wrote a couple of things. One, you had said magic is your favorite thing in all the world. So there was that, but then this other piece I love this so much. I think you said this in another interview that I watched of you online. This might not be verbatim, but you said something like, if you can let pain speak, then beauty can speak even more powerfully in your life. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, just, and so for either of those, either magic being your most favorite thing in life or this concept of you can, you know, be brave enough, courageous enough to start to go into the pain aspects, then beauty can speak any, even more, whatever's coming up for you to share on either of those? Yeah, I think they're both wonderful topics to dive into. But my personal experience has been that whenever we tend to psychosomatize, right, we put our emotions everywhere in this physical body, and sometimes they come out, and sometimes you got to dig them out because they're so old or they're so buried. And, and I've been a professional digger in there for, for quite a while now. Every time I've dug out a big chunk or significant piece of inner pain, every time I've dug it out from its roots, all I've experienced is beauty and peace and love afterward. And, and beauty and peace and love, when they happen like that, always touch me. It's always like, wow, that's so important. Something so powerful is there. And so my experience has always been there's a huge reward if you take the courage and dive in. Right. And one, one of my favorite sayings, it's Rumi talks about the, the Sufi way, the two lakes, lake of fire and the lake of serenity. Have you heard this? I haven't, but it's already speaking to me. So the lake of fire and lake of serenity. So the saying goes something like walk into the lake of fire and your head rises in the lake of serenity. Walk into the lake of serenity and your head rises in the lake of fire. Hmm. Right. I get chills as I describe my story. Wow. 
Oh, wow. That's so intriguing. I love that. I got it. I get it. And so what would you say to some folks? Because, you know, I definitely observe people I deeply care about in my life who I can tell they are just absolutely terrified of even beginning to do this, of just peeking, of peeking back there. And, and they have just refused, you know, and it's like, of course, like everyone has free will. And I want everyone to, to be in their sovereign lane. And, you know, who am I to judge? Like maybe them living that way is the perfect design for them this lifetime. Maybe that's what they're supposed to do. And that's for their highest, greatest good. So I'm not going to impose, but for anyone that maybe the starting to peak and peer and to do that courageous work of unearthing the pain nuggets held inside of them, if it's resonating and they're wanting to lean in, but they also observe that so far they have been too terrified to do so, what could be a potential first step or practice to help to do the peering in? My experience has been that inner desire is key, right? So the most powerful thing you can do if it's a loved one, most powerful thing you can do is ask them, do you want to see, do you want to know, right? Because if we can't start there, we can't start anywhere. And if they say, no, I don't want to know, nothing, then you can say, okay, the answer should be okay. Acceptance of whatever. But even as they say no, then they're going to go back home, they're going to lay in their bed by themselves and say, did I really need no? <laughs> because inside is never no. But sometimes we have to ask the question for them to hear their own yes. First the no, and then through the no, they hear the yes. So if it's somebody you love, it's the, that's the first step with this kind of situation and terror is you have to ask them, 99.9%, they're going to say no, and then you're finished. Then you go and you sit down and you let that medicine, right? And it will work. Because at some point, they're going to come back to you and they're going to say, what do you think I'm ready for? <laughs> and then you have to say, I don't know. Even if you know, yeah, be quiet. Because now you have to let them, you have to let them come to their own yes. I have a very, very funny story with a buddy of mine, very frustrated with his wife. He says to me, I was talking to him about how with, with some folks, especially when they ask me, even if I know, I don't say anything. I say, I don't know, even if I know, because I can see they're working through their process. And if I say, do this and do that, I take their power away. So he says, my wife is driving me crazy. I'm in the passenger seat and she is going on a Should I make a left or should I make a right to find a parking space? They're trying to intuit a parking space, right? <laughs> and so, so I told her, I said, go left. I knew it was going to be a parking space. She went down like four, four, five feet, 10 feet. And she turned around, she started screaming. And she said, see, there's no parking space. <laughs> and I said to her, you have got to be farther. I said, I said, why did you say anything to her? She said, what do you mean? I said, your job in that moment was to shut up. She's trying to learn her own intuition. Why are you interfering? It doesn't matter if you know there's a parking space. You have to let her make, make her mistake. How else she's going to learn? So this, this is a dear friend of mine, our hearts. I can talk to him this way. Right, and talk to everybody this way, but but he got it. With the, the situation you're talking about, that that's a great situation and a great question. That's a high experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this has been so supportive. Thank you so much. So yeah, I mean, we have like just barely even started to pluck one layer off the top of one onion in this conversation. But I know you are a busy master healer with things and people that are awaiting you. So we have hit that time in this journey where we do need to shift into your closing practice, which I'm so excited to experience. So I'll let you take it from here and just let the listeners, obviously, I say this every time, if you're driving, you know, this is not the ideal time to immerse in this guided meditation, pull the car over or pause the show and finish it later, but I'll let you give any further instructions, Arash. Okay, great. Thank you, Allison. I'll just share something that's been coming up for me that I've been practicing recently, which has been very, very powerful. It's a mantra meditation, but, but not a given mantra, sort of a self-given mantra. So what I would recommend is we'll just take a minute to close our eyes together. And we can tune into our hearts, right? The spirit heart, the center of the chest, the level of the shoulders. You can put a hand on there if you like. And just to tune into that central heart, which is the space inside. It feels and senses much, much larger than it actually is. 
and to tune in there and see if a particular word or phrase just strikes you. Now, you may already know it. You might not have to dive into the heart to see it or feel it. But to sit inside that heart and look for a word or phrase that resonates most strongly, most excitedly, sort of knocks your stocks off in there. The most beautiful thing could be love, beauty, grace, devotion, endless beauty. Whatever resonates with you, we're going to take as a self mantra. Feel free to pause and take a few moments. But if you found it, for example's sake, we'll say endless beauty is the phrase that strikes me, for example. So what we'll do is inwardly we'll repeat this phrase, endless beauty. Endless beauty. We'll just repeat it. I'm saying it out loud, but you would say it silently. And you would allow that phrase to infiltrate and be present and sit inside the mind. You would let it sit inside your chest, the lungs, endless beauty, the belly, pelvis, legs, arms. Allow it to sit in every part of you. And allow the mind to keep coming back to this energy, idea, presence of endless beauty, for example. If you have a different word or phrase, use yours. And we continue repeating it inside. And we let the mind focus on that phrase. In other words, this is one way to bring the mind inward. And to focus the mind to align the mind with something that is very explosively valuable to the heart. As we continue to do this, one of the most important valuable things is to be very aware of those parts of mind or emotion that enter and say, gosh, are you sure you're doing the right thing? That try to distract or detract. You want to welcome those distractors or detractors. So as I sit with endless beauty, for example, something from my physical heart may rise and say, ew, that's ugly. Don't do that. And to that part of, for example, my physical heart, I may say, I see you. I hear you. I see your presence. You're there. You stay right there as you are. Scream it from the mountaintop if you like but I will be here in the center with endless beauty. Another voice from outside of your head, maybe from up top might say, this is a useless experience. You're not going to get anywhere. To that part, I would say, hello, I see you. I hear what you're saying. And you're saying it intensely. You stay as you are right there. You be present, and I'm going to stay with them endless beauty. As you begin to welcome and allow two or three or four or five detractors or distractors, other parts of you chiming in that want you to stop or do something else, you'll find the power of your centeredness magnify exponentially. I'll take a deep breath from time to time. Good. I would recommend to try that for 10 to 15 minutes. I'm going to open my eyes, and you're welcome to, if you wish to, you're welcome to open your eyes as well, or continue with the exercise. Uh, that one is so great. Yeah, I can feel the multi purposeful multidimensionality of that one practice. Wow. I can see one of the threads that it can be supportive in is just learning how to be the conscious, compassionate observer of when, you know, whatever is entering into your field. Yeah. Just being able to observe, but still also being united with your soul or your center line or your heart at the same time, learning how to hold a container of, of greater allness, which 
of course, always in turn allows us to be more fully, wholly integrated and unconditional love of self, which then allows us to be more fully, wholly integrated and able to hold that space for everything else and all others. God, that was such a great ride. I'm going to do that more often. It's funny. The word that came in for me was tulip. And I was like, tulip? <laughs> you know, so I had the instant, the mind of like, is that really the the right word for today? And then I, and when I asked that, then, you know, into the sun came in and I felt the sun and, and all of its glory and power. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should go with the sun. And then my heart was like, no, I want the tulip. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll go with the tulip. I don't even know why it's not even my favorite flower, but I'll go with the tulip. But then she was such a delight to place her and work with her all around my body. And then in the end, she expanded and became even larger than me. And I did a little tulip dance today. So yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool to do that with you. I could uh, yeah, yeah, I could sense that you you really got into a nice space with that. So I did. And I think that that especially that one for me has been so powerful and and as you say in, in acknowledging, welcoming, being aware of those negative aspects that might pop up, because they'll always pop up. And the instinct is to say, go away. Right? Say, leave me alone. I'm trying to don't bother me. But it doesn't work. They just turn into big, big, big monsters. Depending on how much story you have and how active the story is um, and how old it is, you may have to say it four times. You may have to go 40 times with different entrants that want to come in and disturb the situation. But it's not, don't, I would say to anyone doing this practice, don't worry how many items intercede. That's not the point. The point is to practice with those who do intercede. Oh gosh, this is so great. I'm just personally glad I was able to see your face again and reconnect after the last time I saw you. And I just really appreciate you and glad to know you and to know that I now have you in my sphere, in my corner, in my life. I feel you as a dear brother. So I appreciate you taking time to, you know, come in and share a dollop of the wisdom that you've gained on your path and just thank you for all the work you do and for who you are. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate all your words and your effort and your inner beauty. And it's so lovely to be with you and, and see you again. And thank you for sharing this with your sphere because we're, we're all just helping each other at the end of the day. Absolutely. Thank you, Soul Fam, for joining us. And we will sit with you again next time. All right. Blessings. Blessings. Woo! What a beautiful, powerful voyage that was. It truly brings me so much joy and activates and lights me up to be able to sit with these incredible teachers, leaders, and masters from all over the world. So to learn more about them, just head to my website where all of the show notes and their details are listed. That's alisoncharles.com, A-L-Y-S-O-N, C-H-A-R-L-E-S.com. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle Podcast so unique is that at the end of every single episode, you're able to immerse in a potent guided ritual practice or ceremony for your empowerment. So please feel free to make note of the practices that you really resonate with the ones that really light up your soul and come back to those episodes anytime, any day. You can use them as your daily practices. And I recommend starting your day with one of them at your altar space. Ah, it's been an honor voyaging with you today. And I would so truly appreciate if you'd open your heart to take a quick few seconds to drop a review on Apple, sharing what you love most or appreciate most about Ceremony Circle Podcast. Receiving those reviews is so helpful and allows us to continue to share this valuable content. And don't forget, if you haven't already gotten your copy of my new best-selling book, Animal Power, you can do so anywhere books are sold, or I most recommend going to my website. Again, that's alisoncharles.com, 
backslash animal power. Because when you purchase for you and your friends there, you get a free video guided shamanic journey to meet your current power animal that I facilitate. Animal Power Book is a modern day compendium featuring 100 different power animals. What each animal represents, their wisdom messages for you, guided practices and stories from all over the world. I personally put the book up to my heart each morning at my altar, and I ask which animal most wants to work with me that day. And then I simply close my eyes and flip the book open to the page I'm guided. And let me tell you, I have been deeply moved to tears on many occasions, and I can't wait for you to experience it as well. I worked on this book for many, many years, and it's now my greatest honor to have it available for you. So anytime animals reveal themselves for you, you can just head to Animal Power Book and see what that animal is trying to get your attention for. All right, Soul Fam, let's unite again in our next episode coming out next week so we can sit together and continue to activate greater consciousness energies for everyone. Much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.